You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and this is the Farmer's Kitchen podcast brought to you by Spinney's on Dubai I 103.8. Talking food, where to go, what to eat and some tastemakers as well, including the legendary cupcake queen herself, Peggy Portion. Having a pop-up for the very first time in the UAE as part of the Mother of the Nation Festival. So what impact has Instagram had on her business and what makes a really good cupcake? We had a full studio with an educator, a chef and students from Arbor Dubai School talking about growing and doing dinners very differently indeed. And we had some fantastic chefs. We were speaking to Stuart Sage of the Waldorf Palm Jumeirah. Uh, chef Trisha Singh was with us in the studio talking about her success at just 30 years old. And we were taking you to Turkey. Hayal is inspired by... Yes, Istanbul, but also Wes Anderson. So what does that mean for your experience? Plus, Courtney Brandt was on the line giving us the latest food news. Why are we served an amuse-bouche? This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the chefs, the tastemakers, and sometimes they're homegrown heroes from right here in Dubai, and sometimes they are international superstars, and that's exactly what we've got in the studio this afternoon. The Cupcake Queen has arrived. Peggy Portion is best known for, I mean, the most famous pink-hued corners of London where cupcake lovers... Instagrammers enjoy the prettiest cupcakes in the country. And yes, probably a photo outside her pink boutiques in Belgravia and Chelsea as well. This is the first time the UAE has seen a Peggy Portion pop-up and the beautiful bakes are going to be showcased at Abu Dhabi's Corniche for the Mother of the Nation Festival until December 18th. So Peggy's in the studio now. Welcome to the UAE. How are you? Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very well. Oh my goodness. And you've brought a box of cupcakes, which it it feels like a crime to eat. They are the most beautiful confection I have ever, ever seen. And, oh, thank you. And pink. So bang on brand. Um, <laughs> I'd love to start at the beginning, Peggy, if that's mm-hmm. all right, and understand your decision to pursue your passion of baking because your career started somewhere quite different. Can you tell us more? Uh, I Basically, I discovered my passion for baking when I was 14 years old, when I made my first cake for somebody special. And I just never forget the feeling of joy and happiness and satisfaction that gave me. And I feel like I got the bug. I got hooked. Um, so I went to my parents and I said, Mom, Dad, I want to become a cake designer. And they went like, what? What is that? Is that a job? Can <laughs> yeah, people exactly. do that? So it took actually a little while before I finally made that jump and that decision to go. I worked as a flight attendant beforehand, which took me on trips to London, where I found out about Le Cordon Bleu. So I, after a short stint as a flight attendant, I enrolled for um, a course in French patisserie and culinary arts. Wow. And uh, I later on then specialized in, uh, in pastry and special occasion cakes and just started my career from there. I mean, the aesthetic has always been absolutely stunning, I'm sure. Mm, but the age, the age of Instagram has gone absolutely yes. stratospheric. And yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, about that. I mean, the decision to have pink boutiques, which have become some of the most photographed mm. spot. How, how useful has social media been in, in marketing and building the business? Uh, it, it has been very, but it happened very um, accidentally, really. I knew that, you know, I just wanted to be um, reflect my brand and what we were about. And I just felt that the color pink, it reminds you of sugar and sweetness, but also it's got something very loving and caring and warming about it. And it's all about friendship and love and happiness. So um, I think that's what the parlors represent. And while it was a bit daring at the time to have a pink shop, it was very well received. And as you know now, there has been 
it's replicated many times. Absolutely. Can I ask you, Mm -hmm. Peggy, how I've heard that Elton John potentially Mm -hmm. changed your life a little bit. Can you tell us more? um, Earlier on in my career, I worked as a a pastry chef at a catering company called Rhubarb Food Design, who catered for high-end celebrity events. And Elton John was planning his white turn tiara ball with the theme uh, Imperial Russia. And the iconic um, icon was uh, the Fabergé egg. And so the boss came and said, we need to make an edible Fabergé egg as a dessert. And my then boyfriend, now husband, said, oh, sure, Peggy can do that. Oh, oh, thanks. (laughs) And um, yeah, so... um, And you did. I did. What was it like? It was amazing. It was a chocolate uh, egg painted in edible pink gold with lilies of the valley. We did 15,000 individual pieces that were then crafted and glued onto the egg. Um, it was then filled with a dessert. It was presented on an oversized tall um, cocktail glass filled with edible golden sugar. Oh, how very and Elton. There were pictures in Hello and OK magazine with Kylie Minogue, Victoria Beckham, anyone you can imagine tucking into it. and Or pretending to tuck yeah, into it for a exactly. photo. <laughs> so it helped me put my name on the map, if you like. I mean, and obviously that momentum mm-hmm. has just continued and it's not mm-hmm. just about fashion and form, it's absolutely mm-hmm. about flavour as well. But can you tell yes. us a little bit about some of the most delicious cupcakes oh. on the menu? And, and <laughs> I guess what has really resonated with your, with your clientele, what are some of the favourites? So some of the favourites that we brought with us is our chocolate raspberry kiss cupcake, which is a beautiful moist chocolate sponge and it's filled with a um, homemade raspberry and rose puree topped with a meringue buttercream um, and edible gold leaf and all those lovely things on top. It looks really pretty and it tastes absolutely divine. Um, So I think our baking is very much about well-loved classic that, Mm -hmm. that we give our unique Peggy twist, if you like. Um, the, I think nowadays the look is as important as the taste, but for me it was always important that the cakes taste as good as they look. For any home bakers who want to elevate mm. their, their baking, maybe not to quite your level, but certainly to be worthy mm. of a photo or two, what are some of the things you need to have in the kitchen or are there any techniques that can be quite easily learned? Oh, I think start simple. Don't overstretch yourself because the worst thing is to feel stressed in the kitchen. Absolutely. Be prepared, read your recipes thoroughly and make sure you have decent equipment and good quality ingredients. The most important thing really is just to enjoy and love what you're doing and don't panic. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Now, let's come back to the Mother mm-hmm. of the Nation pop-up. You mm-hmm. mentioned the, that gorgeous chocolate cupcake. Mm-hmm. What else is going to be available um, until December 18th? Yeah, so we've created um, or sort of customised our MOTN Best Dressed Cupcake, which is a take on our summer berry. And it's a uh, deck... It's Baked a buttermilk sponge baked with mixed berries and a mer- uh, berry meringue buttercream, a uh, berry sauce, an edible, um, sorry, a miniature macaroon on top, edible flowers, fresh berries, gold leaf. It's really, it's a little bit OTT, but it's the one that you like to, it's almost too good to eat. It's a sort of photo opportunity. Oh, wow. Can I mm-hmm. ask a hopeful question? Sure. Does this pop up, and it is the first time you've come to the UAE, mm-hmm. is this you hopefully kind of testing the waters to see? Uh, if yeah, you can, I, I think you can say that, yes. <laughs> Sure. Bess is very happy mm. news indeed. Peggy, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for and, having me. And if we are going to come along, and I am hoping to get down to the nation's capital for, for the pop-up, what would be your number one cupcake pick that, for us to have the, the Peggy portion experience? 
Oh, that is a tricky one. Now, mm. let me think. I think one that we love and always have on the menu is our salted caramel and popcorn cupcake. Oh, my gosh. So indulgent, so scrumptious. You cannot eat enough of it. And with mm. the festive season coming up, what are some of your favorite oh, festive bakes? Festive bakes. So we currently have um, our gingerbread uh, cupcake with lemon icing. It's really, really scrumptious, very delicious. Um, actually, one of my favorite ones is from my German heritage of our Black Forest cupcake as well. Sort of chocolate, cherry, delicious. Peggy Portion, thank you. Tummy's rumbling across the <laughs> UAE, but you can get your fix until 18th of December. The very first time the legendary cupcake queen has come to our shores and you can find that. Don't need to go to Belgravia. Don't need to go to Chelsea. Although if you are there over Christmas, then definitely get a picture and a cupcake. Uh, Mother of the Nation pop up um, all the way through into December. Thank you so much. It's brilliant to have you here. And I'm very happy to help you scout for locations, oh, sure. especially Anytime. one very close to my house. Peggy Portion. And we will be sharing a little pic of the cupcakes she's brought in because they are absolutely stunning. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to some of the city's most exciting chefs and so happy to be joined this afternoon by Trisha Singh Hanel. She is... I don't even know where to start. She is the creative culinary director at Tandortina, but she's also keeping her role as the executive pastry chef at 24 Hours Hotel Dubai One Central. So I guess my first thing is to say thank you for making time to see us. How are you this Friday? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me first and foremost. Pleasure, pleasure. I know Fridays are incredibly busy and I, I wondered if you have a kind of a typical day right now. How, how, what time does your day start and when is it finishing and what are you doing in the middle of all of that? Well, it really depends upon the business. Today I was at work at seven in the morning, so it really depends from day to day. Um, in chef's world, we always know when to arrive, but we never know when we are going to leave. So uh, pretty that's much that's fair. about it. That is very fair. And what keeps you going during those long days? Passion. Passion is something that has always um, from the beginning. That's mm. what I think you need. And that's what gets me going. I absolutely love what I do. Um, the creative aspect of it. Um, it's all about the passion. Let's talk about when it started then. Who, where did you grow up and who was cooking? Well, initially my mother was cooking. So um, it all started since my childhood. So when I was little, my mother used to be baking cakes and I used to join her in baking. They were like a weekend fun days. And, but I was never eyeing to be a chef. My mother's a fashion designer. She's my role model. Um, I always wanted to be um, a fashion designer. So, um, but then through all of this, um, there was an Obroy training uh, that came through and uh, I passed the process of uh, the interviews. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I just had it in me. I think it's all creative at the end of the day. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's, it's still a form of expression and connection as well. You know, that's what fashion's doing. It's making somebody feel something in, in some way when they put something on. And food, you're making people feel something when they see it and when they eat it and the people that are around that table. You've, exactly. Um, you've reached some already incredibly high heights here in Dubai. What, what were your first impressions of Dubai as a foodie city when you arrived seven years ago? And, and how do you think it's changed? Um, when I arrived, it wasn't as, um, as how it is now. I feel Dubai is a culinary capital now. Mm. They, there are so many 
earlier, the difference that I feel is there were Michelin-starred chefs opening restaurants. Now, with the Michelin Guide, with so much recognition, um, it's completely changed. Uh, things are more serious now, I feel. And um, with Dubai is a melting pot of cultures with so many and so many uh, different sort of people with different cultures. So it's really interesting. You can find all sorts of food in Dubai. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Sabrina asking, would you rather live in a world without chocolate or a world without pizza? For me... I couldn't live without chocolate. But I'm guessing our next, uh, our guest in the studio will probably agree with me. We've got Chef Trisha Singh and they're joining us. She is the Creative Culinary Director at Tandor Tina. She's also Executive Pastry Chef at 24 Hours Dubai. I'm guessing you couldn't live without chocolate, Chef. Well, that's an easy one. I cannot. <laughs> no that's chance. right. No, pizza, okay, fine. But chocolate, uh, it's the being to my living. Oh, I love it. I love that. I love how much you love it. Tell us a little bit about the menu at Tandor Tina because here in Dubai we are... So spoiled for choice when it comes to Indian cuisine right. from, you mm-hmm. know, your basic talis in, in Karama all the way up through to, you know, Michelin restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about what you think sets it apart. So the culinary scene in Dubai at the moment, it's very competitive. Very. Um, contemporary Indian is um, definitely Indian food to explain it's lighter on the palate. It's uh, let us all agree that Indian food, like the typical Indian food, it's not very um, visually appealing. So I would say contemporary Indian food, it's uh, it's more aesthetic. So it's kind of more refined in terms of that. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. What about the taste? How much inspiration are you taking from the food that, you know, so many people grew up with? And would that be a bit of a departure for a lot of people? So for me as a chef, whether I'm a pastry chef or right now I'm a tandoor So what stays in between is all things texture for me. Mm. The ingredients, they're very important. Um, as a pastry chef, ingredients, you need to use high quality ingredients to achieve high quality end results. And it's the same in tandoor And that's very common factor that I have with both of them. So even in Tandutina, we focus a lot on um, fresh quality produce. Every day we get fresh fish, prawns, you name it. And um, and we are very proud of that fact. I want you to make us hungry today. Um, what are some of your favorite dishes on the menu? And what are some of the dishes at Tandutina that have really flown with diners that they really love? So I love Indian street food. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried Golgappas. No, never. What's that? So that's basically, imagine a flour ball that's hollow. And um, so basically, in typically in India, it's filled with potato, some sweet and sour water. I have tried Maybe you this. have. Maybe. I have tried this. I thought it was called something different though. So maybe... It's also called Pani Puri. Then, I mean, yes, it, I have. Okay. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes get like a yogurt, maybe like a tamarind in there. Exactly. Okay. That's right. Gorgeous. But in Tanduti now, we actually put ceviche. So oh, it, we, uh, it's called Red Snapper Crudo the name of it and it's very interesting we add mango ginger a hint of chili so all the explosion when you put it in your mouth there's a there's an explosion of flavors which is amazing so i think that one is definitely one of my favorites and you should try too so can i ta- can you ask how your passions come together on the dessert menu at tandotina tell us a little bit about some of the some of the desserts there Oh, that was challenging for me because uh, me as a pastry chef, I don't like my desserts too sweet. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of chefs, um, 
actually they put a lot of sugar even like people they have this perception of desserts being extra sweet but i like to balance it out whether be it texture or sweetness i think that's it's very important for the ingredient to do the talking mm-hmm. so it was a bit challenging for the fact that indian desserts are oh, very all sweet. very sweet <laughs> So in fact I've gotten you some peanut butter crunch. Ooh, thank that you. That you will try after. I will when the news is on so my teeth <laughs> so can get stuck together. So you understand all the textures I'm talking about so I've really balanced out the sweetness in that and being contemporary Indian that's my inspiration from barfi. It's um kaju katli it's made up of cashew nuts. However, I've used peanuts in that along with some caramels, some white chocolate. caramelized white chocolate some oh, edible silver and golden leaves so it actually looks like a kaju katli but then it's not kaju katli at all it sounds like so much thought has gone into this menu it sounds like There it sounds so well kind of well sounds very cerebral and then obviously very well executed as well i want to before you go back to the kitchen um lastly any advice for any young chefs listening today and young female chefs you're just 30 yourself and my goodness what a resume it only it only 30 what advice would you say to any young women who are looking to get into the industry i would say just believe in yourself have confidence in the work that you do um i feel like whether it's female if whether it's men or women at the end of the day you have to be confident in yourself um you need to in there is so much on social media nowadays and i believe everybody at one point they start following trends mm-hmm. um i'm not such a fan of that of course it's fun following trends um but i feel why not be the trend setter I think I think that's exactly what you're doing you know you've obviously got your own perspective you're bringing so much from your childhood from your training to this menu and to the hotel as well Thank you for being with us today you have made me very hungry indeed are you going to be in the kitchen over the weekend Yes, I'm going to be there. Of she course. Ne- she, she never stopped. <laughs> Chef Trisha, thank you so so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. I've had you in my office today. I'm going to come to your office next time because it thank sounds you. absolutely delicious. And thank you in advance for the peanut crunch. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8 with Spinnies. Eat well, live well. We're giving you some ideas of where to go, spend your hard-earned dirhams, get a very full and happy tummy this weekend. Joining us in the studio is Alex Garcia, the managing partner of Infinity Concepts. They are they're taking us to Turkey. Hayal has just opened downtown in the St. Regis bringing a modern take on Turkish food. Alex, I'm so intrigued by this because I feel like we haven't had that many Turkish restaurants in Dubai. There are some where I'm like, okay, we have enough of this. We've got enough of that. But I feel like there are some and I actually I'd include Spain in in this. They've been kind of undercated. Tell us a little bit about the Hayal experience for a first-time diner. What's in store? So I think what was what was very important is is yes, it's true that there's a lot of uh There's loads of Turkish restaurants in in Dubai, but I think that most of their take is a traditional take on mm. their cuisine, and I think that no one was betting on on creative culinary approach. I think Turkey is way more than just traditional dishes like uh, kebabs, pilavs, uh, sakshukas, uh, and I which, think which are great. Love nothing wrong with them, but but, but it's it, but it's a bit reductive to think of that being the only part of the cuisine. Yes, it's just like if you think of if you think of Turkey. Turkey is such a rich country culturally, historically, um artistically. And I think that we often when people think of Turkish restaurants or or Turkish concepts, they miss that aspect. And I think that happens in all in all 
in all very rich countries, the way we only have a very narrow perspective of what the country is like. And when we thought of Hayal, uh, we, the whole team, we went to Istanbul because we wanted to think of, oh, let's see what Istanbul has more has to offer. And Istanbul has this European side, that Asian side, that more Muslim side. And we wanted to focus more on the on the westernized side, where, where it was more artistically rich because it has been historically with less limitations. And there are some uh, some neighborhoods like uh, Chukurkuma where there's loads of great new and, and old artists painting in different and a wide array of styles. And I think we wanted to bring that in, in, in our concept. We, want, we didn't want people to come and think, oh, I'm just going to have uh, grilled meat or I'm going to have sakshuka. Or, no, I'm going to have a true Istanbul creative experience. So how does that translate to the menu? What are some of the dishes that have been created or that you're introducing people to for perhaps for the first time? So this has been a bit of a, a, bit of a process. When we, when we first had our first draft of, of the menu, everything was a creative approach, a, pr- a creative take on traditional dishes, plus some additional uh, creations that we had with Turkish traditional ingredients. Now, a lot of people at the beginning didn't quite understand it. So we actually had to go back to the drawing board and realize that we need to still have some of these traditional dishes because there are people that will have certain expectations as soon as they hear the word Turkish. And I think not, not, not catering for them, it was something that we should have thought at first. But now we have both aspects. We have a very creative uh, tasting menu, a very creative dishes that you can also take individually. We have a traditional high quality uh, uh, take on that uh, culinary experience of Turkey. So I think that now we have we have a very very strong offering on on what actually Istanbul is like. And if you go to Istanbul, some of the most successful restaurants at the moment, um, like Neo Local or Fatih Tutak, these are restaurants that do not offer traditional Turkish food. They have their own creative take on that. Or that, Yeni Lokanta. That's, that's, that's tricky, though, because they're obviously in, comp- in a different context. You know, people already have an understanding of Turkish cuisine because they are in Turkey, whereas here you need to strike the balance between, <clears throat> as you say, people yes. having expectations and people wanting to have their mind blo- exactly, blown exactly. and, and broadened. So what are some of the dishes that have been big hits with diners at the minute? So, so there's been several dishes that, that we have... I don't want to give away too much. Oh, I, I, w- I would really, no, really, really, really. <laughs> I would really like uh, people to come and and uh, and, and exper- experience, experiment a little bit and try things like, what is this? This sounds a bit strange. Okay, let me try it. I want people to do that in the same way that we did with a beverage offering. So our, all our cocktails and mocktails, they have a very artistic approach. So they all have, they are given names that that have some that remind you of some, some, some sort of fun, creative, artistic, historical event from, from Turkey or from Western culture. So there's, for example, when we were designing the space, we strongly looked at the, the style of Wes Anderson, which is a fantastic uh, uh, director. And we took into consideration um, a couple of uh, his uh, main movies, one of them, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Brilliant. which I think is, is quite known. That's got goosebumps. There's yes. a, the, one of my favorite Instagram accounts is called Accidentally Wes Anderson, and it's these, oh, these little uh, vignettes and rooms or buildings that could come straight out of one of his movies. It's such a great reference. Yeah, so when we, when we were working also in the photograph, photography style and the videography style, we wanted to take 
the the color palette, the, the symmetries, and the, the asymmetries within the symmetries of, of uh, Wes Anderson stakes. Uh, so when you actually come to the venue, and if you have, if you remember somewhat the movie, you will actually see some some uh, some nods to to to, to his style. Uh, we want we want we want people to come there and have a bit of an experience to come there like oh what is this why 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 is this this guy with a cloudy head well, uh, yeah tell us about the the clouds and these 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 references as well what's that relating to so again we wanted people when they come to uh, when they come to Hayal to have that bit of a creative experience I think you know it, it's like when you work and you, and you think where can I go that inspires me a little bit mm-hmm. sometimes it's a trip. Sometimes it's going to that cafe that serves you that amazing roasted coffee and surrounded by hipsters and freelancers and, 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 you, and you need to, to be there. We wanted to create a restaurant that would bring that. And we, we called it Hayal because – so Hayal in, in Turkish means um, daydreaming. And we wanted people to come, to come in Hayal and to have a bit of a daydreaming experience. Like flavors, colors, uh, uh, stories behind what we do that would bring you, that would enhance that creative world that we all of us have inside of us. So, and that 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 painting that we have in the entrance and that we have used in some of the artworks is that cloudy head. And I think it's in several languages. I think in English it's used as well. When when you're in the clouds because mm-hmm. you're Head daydreaming, clouds, yeah. you're imagining something, you're placing some, yourself somewhere else while you're still wide awake. And we wanted to make that part of that Hayal experience. Um, a question here from Barbara saying, do they do a good Turkish breakfast? Oh, good question. We have an extraordinary uh, breakfast, yes. We actually just launched it last week. And um, it's every Saturday and Sunday. We're actually now going to launch it every day because we had a bit of a demand. Not only from us, actually guests from the hotel that they heard that they were there. Because St. Regis is, is, is incredibly busy. Uh, and apparently there was there was a demand when they knew there was a Turkish place. They were asking, oh, can I go tomorrow for breakfast? But there were customers that maybe were there like from Monday to Wednesday or Thursday. And and I think the hotel pressured us. It's like, guys, we have so much demand for your Please. breakfast. And, and um, That's a nice problem to have. Yes, it's, it's a good problem to have. I want to ask you about um, the face furniture that you are currently rocking. I understand that mustaches are quite the focus. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. I think it's that, um, you know, like when you wear something that it also changes you a little bit, that mm-hmm. type of uniform effect. I do. So we, we wanted to, to encourage um, some of the, the team members to, to grow a mustache. Obviously, before we asked anyone, and uh, we, I think it was fair to lead by example. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Yours is fantastic. Now it's much shorter. It's, it's so much work. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> I had it for three three months, and actually only just ten days ago I, I chopped these these wings off because uh, uh, it's it's again it's it's a lot it's a, it's a lot of work. <laughs> so again, we we did it for ourselves, and we wanted to make it optional. So we actually offered a grooming allowance for guys in the team that would grow their mustache. We we needed some sort of encouragement. One, we needed to lead by example. Two, we wanted to 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 make it. And you know the thing now. Is that they they have the mustache mustache very very proudly. Most of the of the, of the male team uh, in Hayal is is wearing it with with pride, Quite and you, you see them they're so happy. And some of them are growing it very very long. And oh, honestly, do, I'm so proud to do a to, photo to have gallery that. of that. Yes, yes. it's very Wes Anderson. Thank yeah. you, Alice. I really do appreciate you coming in and sharing your passion for the space and the passion for this cuisine. Thank and you, uh, I think it sounds like also thank you, Barbara, for getting in touch about Turkish breakfast. Don't annoy anybody. 
few countries do better breakfast than Turkey. So brilliant to have you so close. Um, a question here going, where is it? Uh, St. Regis downtown. So that is where you need to go. If you want the details, if you want the Instagram, drop me a little message on 4001. Just say Turkey and I will send it your way. Thank you for making time for us on a Friday. Really do appreciate it. Go back to the team and uh, we'll see you there very, very soon. Alex Garcia joining us from Infinity Concepts, the team behind the Hayal. If you want that detail, as I said, drop me a little line. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Food writer, traveller extraordinaire, Courtney Brandt joining us live on the line. Courtney, I've got a would you rather for you. This is food related from Kapil. Would you rather rather eat a wet loaf of bread or drink a pint of whipped fish? Oh my goodness! I know. Um, I'm, I, I think I can dress up and save wet bread, um, mm-hmm. but that—that's—I'm going to try and save the wet bread. That's my final answer. Ugh. Courtney, I hope you ate some nicer things in Lapland. Great to have you with us. And I absolutely loved following your travels. It was the hunt for the Northern Lights. It was husky sledding. It was the coziest hotels you can imagine. Was it as good in Lapland as Instagram made it appear? I would say if you adjust just a little bit, remember, we live in literally one of the best cities for hospitality in the world. So let's just say, I think my expectations were a little high, then I made them where they should be. And um, yeah, you just managed some communication. Actually, you know, we were with some of our best friends. So it was fun. It was snowing. We brought the right amount of clothes and socks. So all in a good time. Let's talk food then. You, 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 you're alluding to, I don't want to say shonky service, but a touch of the faulty towers for anyone yeah. who might get that reference. Okay. <laughs> what, what about food though? Um, what, what kind of things are on the menu? Because I know you did some quite high-end dining. What was the best thing you ate and something that uh, belongs in a would you rather question? Do you know what though? We had, uh, we just kind of stumbled across this wonderful restaurant in uh, Rovanemi, which is north of Helsinki called Restaurant Gustav. Very just kind and cozy and, you know, the traditional meatballs, reindeer meatballs, mashed potato pickle and Mm. cranberry or lingonberry. Mm. It hits the spot and it was only 12 euros. So honestly, just that traditional kind of food and fish. Um, I actually had a lot of blueberry juice which I Ooh. never expected. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I am hoping, if my kids aren't listening right now, to surprise them with uh, some, some Santa, Santa Village experiences next Christmas. So I will catch up with you nearer the time to see exactly what we should and shouldn't be doing. Let's go to the news. Um, it's all happening in Abu Dhabi. What do we know about 50 Best? So we know it's happening next year. It's happening um, officially January 30th, uh, 2023. Sounds weird to say that. Uh, That's when the announcement is. Now, officially, there are a ton of events. Uh, It happened last year. It's happening, excuse me, it happened this year, and it's happening next year, where we have all these global chefs that are coming in. You can come in for a dinner. You can come in for training. I've heard there's going to be a very fancy night brunch happening. So I would encourage everyone to go, uh, probably Instagram page for World 50 Best, and just look at, they've done a post recently for uh, all the Abu Dhabi events. So, foodies, this is your this is your moment. This is our Oscars. It's, it's coming up. Mark your calendars. January twenty twenty three. It's not that far away, Courtney. That is the <laughs> no. that is the terrifying thing. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye one hundred three point eight with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We've got food writer Courtney Brandt joining us live to talk the latest news and also shedding a bit of light on things that might have confused you. Um, Courtney, you dine at some 
I wouldn't say very high-end restaurants. You just you design actually across a whole range, but the ones that photograph really well do tend to be the ones that are expertly curated and arranged on on plate by amazing chefs. And a lot of them are just a little tiny bite, an amuse bouche, yeah. <laughs> if you will. What is that all about? The amuse bouche. What 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 is the purpose of one? Can you help us out? Sure. So this is kind of that elevated canapé or hors d'oeuvre at the start of the meal. Usually it's complimentary and it's going to be before the dinner starts. I learned this is actually something that is fairly new. This came about in the 1970s in France. Not sure what they were doing, but they were being quite creative. And really it's a place, an opportunity to showcase kind of the culinary skills of the kitchen and kind of like, ooh, tantalize the taste buds. I think now it's kind of a more modern interpretation where we see snacks. We see these small bites at the start of the meal. Most of the, the places that I like to uh, to go to seem to have adapted that and extended even that amuse-bouche. For me, an amuse-bouche, mm-hmm. um, it, it's kind of a way of buttering up the diner as well, being like, here's something free. Spend a little more with the, with the sommelier. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes. Tip us. Yes. Tip us well. I'm not complaining. Who doesn't love free food? But also, I guess it must be quite interesting for the chef to have a bit of fun with that because if it's not something that's on the menu, it's something you can mix up and maybe test some flavour combinations and, and see how they see how they go. I quite like a little inter, you know, between your, your starter and your main, a little sorbet or a little jelly, a little palate cleanser. But the amuse bouche. I, I mean, I like saying it more than that, more than yeah, I like eating it's it. Fun it's very fun to say. <laughs> it's definitely fun to say. We're having our Spinney's Christmas party next week, Courtney Brandt. We're going to be talking mm. turkey, of course. Um, and you have found a list of the best snacks for the holiday ranked. Now, you are out of the United States of America, and a lot of these snacks are. But I wondered if there's anything that we can get here that has ranked particularly highly, because one of the best things about the holiday is definitely the food. So I, I looked at this list, and I'm exactly like you. I thought, you know, we actually have a lot of really great food here, starting with my favorite. I, it's my own ranking. You know, forgive me. Go the on. camembert, the camembert wreath, the big yes. camembert wreath at Spinney's is an absolute must. I saw it in the stores. I have just, I'm going to put it off one more week because it's, <laughs> it's in the house. I have to make it. <laughs> I'm already, I, I, Spinney's in the past have done a cheese advent calendar. I've just basically created my own by buying lots of cheese and just opening the fridge door and eating <laughs> loads and loads of yeah. cheese. But I did, I put yeah. it on my Instagram yesterday, I did a baked camembert in the air fryer, which worked incredibly well. Just score it. I brought a little truffle honey on. I put some thyme and some chili and it was 12 minutes in the air fryer. And I'm not even sorry. I'm not even sorry to any dairy intolerance out there. It is absolutely worth it. So you're all, you're all about the cheese, all about the camembert. I am. But you, you have said magic words, of course, to me, cheese and air fryer. You can't, put, you can't possibly go wrong. Put those um, I would, <laughs> Yes. Um, the, also on the list, Really, anything gingerbread, and I think that's you know that's that's pretty traditional. Shortbread made the list, mm-hmm. and then of course, um, this is the time of year we see a lot of that chocolate orange flavor. Um, I know Commonwealth, there's you know there's different versions of it, but I just think I guess this list is quite sweet in nature, so I had to balance it by just saying you got to have more cheese. You've always got to have more cheese. I like that gingerbread inclusion because you don't. It would be weird to have a gingerbread man at any other time. Not to mention a gingerbread house, which I have been known to single-handedly demolish. Um, we've got some very happy news for yeah. Salam Dakak. Tell us a little bit more about this incredible woman. Sure. So we are looping back to that world's fifty best, and they have different versions around the world. In case uh, you weren't aware, there's one in Mina, and we have now um, Chef Salam of uh, our very own JLTs 
Bate Merriam has been recognized as the best female chef for Mina's List 2023. This is a massive accomplishment. And, you know, you've just been seeing the community come out and just support oh, this wonderful she honor. Is- Incredible. She also got yeah. that fantastic nod from Michelin for amazing servers and hospitality. And I would have to say, absolutely right. And the food is fab too. Um, Courtney, um, where where are you heading next? Where's, where's in your diary for the next week or so? So I'm going to go to Takahisa, which I've missed at uh, Caesars Palace. And I'm also going to try and make it to Marina Social. There's a new truffle and caviar menu. Oh, that sounds I'll very trying. gouty. <laughs> I've got a final question for you. This is, would you rather, we're asking everyone to send in their would you rather questions, to go into the draw and win a 500 dirham voucher from Spinney's. Ryan is saying, would you rather give up desserts and eat all your food prepared by renowned chefs of the world or eat all the desserts and never eat out at a restaurant? Oh, I, I would I, I would have to give up dessert. Me too. You can't, you can't hold me back from a restaurant. So it's an easy easy one for me, but can see how that might be difficult for others. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Courtney Branch. For anyone that wants to, as I said, catch up on your Lapland travel, see where you're going to next. What's the best way of getting in touch with you and following you? You can find me at underscore Courtney Brandt, all one word, underscore, uh, on Instagram, and all the links should be in the bio. Thank you so much. And if you do head over there, absolutely sign up for Courtney's newsletter. It comes out every weekend. Some brilliant food news, some great inspiration, some brilliant insights on the food industry and beyond. Courtney, have a lovely weekend and Merry Christmas, she says. Is that a little bit early? I don't care. Courtney Brandt, if you want her details, drop me a little line on 4001. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. We're meeting the chef this hour and what a chef we have for you today. Stuart Sage is the new executive chef at the Waldorf Astoria Palm Jumeirah. He's been in the region 15 years and bringing his brand and philosophy to, I have to say, one of the fanciest hotels on the Palm and one that's got a fantastic reputation for food as well. Um, Stuart, how are you? Thanks for having me, Ellen. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for making time. I know Fridays are... A little busy in the kitchen, especially as you get into the festive season. So first of all, I want to say, great to have you at the hotel. You've been there five weeks and I'm sure it's been a, a busy time. Gone very quick. It's good though. That's great. Um, so tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up and, and who was cooking when you were a child? Um, I grew up in Bedfordshire, Luton. Um, basically learned from my mum, stealing the cake dough behind her while she's cooking. She could cook? Yeah, um inspired me um to follow my passion and started cooking professionally if you like at learning my trade at 16 this is this is a really it can go one of two ways it can be chefs who find their passion later in life and they're like okay i don't want to yep. do that anymore and and c- come to the kitchen or so many like you starting early and working their way up through that hierarchy of the kitchen because yep. it is like an army you've got those ranks what was that first job like what were you doing well my first day was uh, don't talk unless you know what you're talking about, which mm-hmm. was a real culture shock to the real world. Um, but there's more influence now on TV for the young people and um, chefs are becoming like rock stars with the Netflix and there's, everything is being shown. It's so true. Like that, that perception of a chef has changed so much in the last couple of decades. Like that idea of you saying of that kind of celebrity or this is my philosophy and this is the story mm. I want to tell through food and through film. Yeah. Do you do you find yourself watching um, cooking programs and chefs documentaries? Yeah, I do. Um, and I tell my chefs as well, especially my younger ones, because the commies in the kitchen, because 
when you ask a sh- the young the young commies at the the resort why you want to be a chef mm. and they tell you it's my passion then you're you have to mentor them and guide them and show them the right things to watch so they get influenced to follow what they're passionate about and isn't that an amazing opportunity whether it's through social media or through you know, chef's table yeah. um, on Netflix to be exposed to people who who are cooking and creating in different parts of the world, completely different perspective with ingredients that we might not be able to even, you know, touch here. Who are some people that have inspired you? When I was 16, it was Marco Pierre White because he was the youngest British chef to achieve three stars and in the country. Rock star. Rock star. And then as I started... To get a little bit older was Gordon Ramsay. And when you watched his documentary, Boiling Point, it was like the real hardcore mm-hmm. um, best that you can see in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it changes as you get older, as you learn your trade. How has your own food philosophy changed as you've got older? Yeah, it's more supporting. Uh, being in this region for 15 years, it's all about supporting more and more because there's more farms coming and well i've been here 15 years and i have to say the difference in that time i had to, i don't remember any local produce kind of back then and now you know you go into spinneys and you've got ua cucumbers you've got massive blueberries grown by elite just you know and it's it's completely changed and but the quality is very good it really is strawberries taste like strawberries which is was not the case a few years ago so how do you incorporate that in the hotel then how are you working with farmers and suppliers well, the, the, I will basically visit farmers and in, invite them up to the resort, which I'm planning to do, um, and w- in, show them around the resort and see where we can incorporate through our outlets, mm-hmm. maybe a grounds where we can create like a little farm or something where we can actually do our own you know, garden to table throughout our outlets, which is pure organic from the resort. But we need the specialist to kind of guide us and show us. Mm-hmm. So that's what my, the aim is for next year, to link up, learn from, especially in this environment and the weather, yeah, to, to educate us and teach us, you know, and with, with the team. Tell us a little bit about some of the changes that have happened recently at the Waldorf Astoria and Palm Jumeirah and things that we could be expecting. I know Social's had a bit of a relaunch. What's going on there? Well, we launched uh, Social from November the 1st. Um, we've just f- finished our first... F- complete month um the team did an amazing job to re re-guide it relaunch it for anyone that hasn't been what's the kind of i always feel like the word concepts are really overused but it, it does suit the purpose now what's what's social all about in terms of cuisine style aesthetic even? the the chef is from uh napoli and then you know he's putting his dna on the on the the plate it's uh casual fine dining so it's more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few things coming to the restaurant, which is, I think, quite unique. Um, we're actually going to create a and launch a kitchen table for two guests to dine in the kitchen while, during the whole service. Whoa. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how Gordon Ramsay it gets back there. Do you, yeah. have, do you have music in the kitchen? Not in service time. The music is what they create with the environment and the atmosphere. They have music to get the adrenaline going and then it gets switched off at 6.30 when the service starts. Lastly, Chef, what have you got planned for festive? I know in hospitality, you guys are the ones that are working while the rest of us are relaxing. Um, what, can, what can we look forward to? We have a very strong festive at the Waldorf, to be honest with you. We have uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day brunch. We also have in the, in the evening, we have Lau and Social. Um, we have a very um, 
New Year's Eve gala around the pool, Studio 54, oh. to recreate the New York heritage your white suits with ladies. live band and very high uh, quality of ingredients, live stations. It's going to be with the backdrop yeah, of the fire, fireworks show. That's going to be brilliant. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for coming in today, especially on a Friday, especially when you're new in the role. It sounds like you've got an awful lot to look forward to, as do we there at the Waldorf Astoria on the Palm. Wishing all the very best in the new job. Keep us, keep us, uh, keep us informed. I'm very intrigued to see how it's all going to unfold, but it's going to no doubt be absolutely delicious. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's Jeff, it's Jeff Hurst, Stuart Sage with us. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well live well. I love a busy studio and it's packed today. Um, we are talking about a school that's doing things something well, very differently on the food front, certainly compared to what I grew up with, which was grim. School dinners that put me off beetroot for life. It was grey mints and scoops of smash and rice pudding with a skin. Basically the food my post-war dad absolutely loved. But there is a way of doing things differently, and Arbor School is doing that. We're joined now by Ken Jones, Director of Education. We've got Anna Maria Herreras, who is a chef for Arbor, and we've got Loki and Julieta students who are lucky enough to avail of some of this fantastic food. Um, Ken Jones, I'd love to start with you, because as I said, Arbor's doing things very differently in all sorts of different ways, with environment very much front and centre. Can you explain what that actually looks like, be it through the facilities and the curriculum as well? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think I think one of the things that really sets um, Arbor apart is is the vision um, "enough for all forever." It's a it's a really simple phrase. Say it again for um, me. Enough for all forever, and um, underpinning that is sustainability, which we've all heard about. It's kind of lost its meaning a little bit, hasn't it? Because it, it means has. different things to different people. What does it mean to you guys? So sustainability for us is not is not just about recycling. Very often you talk about sustainability and people immediately think of recycling. But in, in, in Arba, it's about everything we do. It's about the, the way we run the school. It's about our school transport. It's about where we source our, our food. Our, uniforms, our, I've heard. Uniforms, which absolutely uh, are from a sustainable source. Um, so it's a, it's a much broader mm-hmm. um, view of sustainability. The other thing that underpins it is this notion of eco-literacy, which is a term that not many people have heard, but it's students understanding how, and our adults, understanding how the world works, how different systems in the world interact, whether they're um, ecological systems, financial, economic, social, but how how they all interact and affect each other. Mm -hmm. So we teach um, systems thinking. And then the notion of um, environmental justice. In the world, there are lots of environmental benefits and there are lots of problems, and it's the sharing of those benefits and problems that we also try to to, um, to to appreciate so those things underpin the school and that makes Arbor very different from a lot of um, a lot of schools and, uh, it's been so well received by students and I know a lot of parents who absolutely love it for yes the academic side but also that feel-good side yes and also the biodomes <laughs> yes so so our facilities our facilities mirror the, that sort of vision um, and the facilities include, as you say, three large um, tropical biodomes. The first one representing a, a sort of natural tropical biome, the plants and the animals that you would find in, in natural tropical ecosystems around the world. 
Um, and the second dome represents a sort of cultivated tropical environment. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the crops that you would cultivate in that environment. Mangoes, bananas, pineapples, um, different herbs and spices. Um, and then we have a third biodome, which is our ecological maker space. And that's a space where students set up their own problems, their projects. They can get creative and messy and investigative and you know, embark on what we call inquiry-based learning mm-hmm. um, and pedagogical approaches, which is all about students determining what, what they're we're studying. This is uh, Ken Jones, Director of Education, speaking to us about Arbor School today and just been reeling off some, some plants and produce, which brings me very nicely to, I mean, I'm not sure I know of another school that has a chef who's been through Michelin restaurants, who has been travelling the world and bringing her expertise to well, what you call a farm-to-plate programme. We've got Anna Maria Herreras joining us. Um, it sounds like you're making schools very differently to the ones that I grew up with. So tell us a little bit about what's been growing and how that translates to the plate and to the cafe as well. Absolutely. So apart from the biodomes, we also have a greenhouse and we have a biofarm, which is grown outdoors which is where I'm receiving cucumbers and tomatoes and eggplants and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, which are all beginning to pop up right now. So tell us a little bit about how it works. Are you on site all the time? Are you picking? Are you, have you got your own kitchen? Can you kind of paint us a picture about what a, a school chef would actually do? Yeah, so um, we have a central kitchen on the campus, which is where I spend most of my time. We have three canteens and two cafes on campus, and I work closely with the gardening team, so I'm up to date daily on what's team. growing and being planted and what's working and what's flourishing. And Can I ask you then, we're talking about the, about the biodomes, what role does seasonality have in terms of what's being produced? Mostly from the biopark, which is exterior, where we see the weather directly affects Mm -hmm. what's being planted and when and when it can be harvested. So this is where I feel that it's the most natural and fresh. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Joining us live in the studio is Anna Maria Herreras, a Michelin-trained chef. She's at Arbor Dubai, making some very special connections between what's grown and what's served for staff. And I think, honestly, chef, more importantly for students, really, because whenever I think about Dubai, I love it as a city. Of course, I've been here 15 years. But I think you've got to make a really concerted effort as a parent to take our kids out of supermarket environments. And this is why I think Spinney's, you know, veg pledge has been so powerful to make that connection between what's grown, what's served, what that can mean for the planet. How do you think growing on site at school and some of the things you're serving is actually helping students connect the dots? It's an incredible opportunity to see from the beginning where our vegetables are coming from. And then, of course, on our menu, we have meatless Mondays. And so depending on what's being harvested that week, we're adding it onto our onto our onto our plates that children are experiencing directly from our garden. I want you to make us hungry. What are some of the big hits? And uh, maybe maybe some healthy stuff or maybe some more indulgent because you're a great baker as well. Right. Well, there's definitely some some farmhouse favorites. I would say probably our pasta dishes are, are a hit. Um, we have shepherd's pie and we have um, homemade desserts and our breads are all made on site and 
Um, I can't pick a day that's my favorite day. Why would you ever bring a packed lunch in when you've got a chef like you in the kitchen? Let's hear uh, Loki's with us today from from year eight. What are some of the favorite things that you've had to eat at school? Um, Well, I really like the fact that they give options for people. So, like, for example, gluten-free and vegan stuff. So the cookies and the... um, Vegan chocolate cake and brownies. Ooh. Very yummy. <laughs> now, I know you're really passionate about the environment. Yeah. What do you think the importance is of kind of growing local and eating what's literally grown metres from, from where you're eating? Because that means we don't have any travel transport uh, carbon-wise. So we don't waste any carbon going from, like, uh, all the way from Mexico, well, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Just to get here. We have it ingrown and so we can put it straight on the plate without damaging the environment whatsoever. What are some of the other things that you and you and your family do at home or are trying to educate people around to really protect the planet and, and hopefully reverse some of the work that maybe my and my parents' generation have done? So um, at home we try to reuse. So if we happen to get a plastic bag, which is very rarely... Um, we use that for other important purposes and like upcycle it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes use it to like pick up the dog's poo, um, <laughs> yes. for example. Keep it real, Loki. But then also, <laughs> uh, we use we mainly use reusable bags for, um, to go shopping always. And if we forget one, we'll just buy another one because it's really important to not have all the plastic polluting our. The landfills. We heard earlier from from Ken Jones, the director of education, and, and talking about that phrase, you know, basically enough for everyone forever. You you've spoken to me in the past about what you call a kind of abundance mentality. Are you able to explain that for anyone that doesn't really understand what that means about why it's not enough just to have enough? So, if we were aiming for sustainability, um, that would basically mean keeping exactly what we have now forever. Um, and at the moment, that would not be the best idea because of how much carbon and uh, how much damage we're doing to the world. If we were to keep it up, the world would end up in flames. So having more than what we need, more than now, and then sustaining that so to ensure that everyone has a better life. Julieta, tell us a little bit about what you've been enjoying on the food front. And I guess the education side, because it sounds like Arb is such a unique learning environment. How are you finding it? Yeah, so... I, every day, go to the cafe and eat um, the English muffin. It's, like, addicting. <laughs> and I have um, the school lunches, and I think that such quality food is not, it's a privilege, but it's important to note that um, uh, the past few weeks I've been working on a project in one of my classes on food security and growing healthy food. And food security is important that not every, everyone not only has access to food, but that that food is also quality and mm-hmm. healthy. Can I ask you, Loki, going to a school like Arbor, where, as we found earlier, this kind of eco-literacy is, is so woven into everything you're doing, do you think it would perhaps encourage you to work in environmental fields in the future? Or do you just feel like you're going into the world knowing a lot more than most most kids? Well, I, f- I feel like it's sort of both. I definitely know that I've got a lot of knowledge about the environment that a lot of kids aren't lucky enough to have. But also it does encourage me to, if I were to go into a business, I try to make sure it's a circular economy. Um, so nothing, is, no waste is created, everything's reused. Okay, or if I were to make my own like business, it would also be in a circular economy. 
so it's not the harm the environment. Can you sitting there looking really proud? To be <laughs> I, honest, uh, seriously, sitting listening to these students makes me so proud um, because this this is what we're trying to do mm-hmm. um, you know we're, we're trying to pr- provide a different type of education where students get involved in real projects real problems um, they they pursue their own ideas and I know that um, Julietta recently I don't know if you want to talk about it Julietta did has done an amazing project on looking at that that productivity right down to looking at um, the uh, the makeup of the soil the nutrient content. Um, so through this sort of inquiry-based, project-based, place-based approach to um, education, students actually um, learn important scientific, ecological, environmental um, information in a, in a real hands-on, meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like in, in some schools, and this isn't a criticism, I know there's a lot of logistics involved, sometimes the environment can feel like a bit of a clumsy bolt-on, and it seems, yeah. and that perhaps shouldn't be the case. If, we, if this is a priority for us as a planet, this needs to be in, integral to education. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Chef, I want to finish with you, Chef Anna Maria. Um, if you could wave a magic wand over all schools in the UAE, but ideally the world, and have them do something, try something, change something when it comes to the growing of produce or the feeding of their students, what would you like to put in place? I think having a a resident chef is a a plus because that person is involved with the students' day-to-day life. They're not just catering to Mm -hmm. them from outside and delivering the food. They're on-site. They know their students. They know what their likes and dislikes are, what their allergies are. Julieta hates strawberries and Loki is gluten-free. This is something that, that I'm aware of when I prepare every menu. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, a feeling of gratitude as a chef and feeling very fortunate to have my own garden outside my kitchen door. And it sounds like and the importance of community It's whatever well. chef should, should have the opportunity. Thank you all so, so much. A really enlightening chat about exactly that, how things can be done differently. Um, we've had the guys from Arva Dubai joining us. And I should say, happy holidays, guys. How, are you finished today? Today. Go and relax, every single one of you. Apart from you, chef, I'm sure you'll be busy over the holidays. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.